Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. I know that today this is an exciting message because we're talking about demons today. <laughs> I know it sounds like what in the world? No, listen, it's not just about demons. It's about your victory in the Lord today. Because what we don't realize, even though we read it in the Bible, is that a lot of your fight and my fight, it doesn't have to do with people. It has to do with spirits. And uh, we're on our, in fact, if, uh, could we pass those out as quickly as possible? Just go ahead and everyone needs one, I think, today. Everyone needs one. Just go ahead and pass those things out as quickly as possible. We have a... A front and back page of some questions today that we're going to go over. I actually started a series called I Believe. It's a 10-week series. Let me just change it to a 10-part series because last week I started to teach about angels, angels, and I realized that the subject of angels is such a big subject that we talked about the good angels last week. How many are glad that you have God's angels and have charge over you? Any, any, any angels had to help you out this week on the freeway? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen some of your angels out there making sure that you're taken care of. But uh, we need his angels. But they're not, they're not just angels that are uh, good angels or holy angels. There are evil angels, fallen angels. So don't just seek to see, to see an angel. Oh, I want to see an angel or go get a book on an angel. Well, they're not all good. They're not all good angels. There are evil spirits that are out there as well. You know, why do we need to talk about that? Well, when I was in high school, I was in wrestling. Okay, I, I was a wrestler. I wrestled for four years in high school. I loved wrestling. But something I realized about wrestling was that it wasn't about activity that won matches. It wasn't about hype. Oh, hype. I'd watch guys. In fact, all my, my boys wrestled, and they and I'd, I got to watch. I've, watched so, I've been to so many tournaments and watched so many matches. And it wasn't the person who was hyped up the most, running around the most, hoo-hoo, making the faces the most, hoo-hoo-hoo, and these kinds of things. What was it? It was about the person who knew how to win, and, 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 and they had a strategy. It's not about activity or there's people who would jump up and down and get so so hyped up that by the time they got on the match, they're, ex they're exhausted. You know, that's how people, I think, get about the enemy. They think that the enemy, oh, I'm going to get the enemy. They get all hyped up. The enemy doesn't care if you're emotional or not. And the enemy doesn't care if you're loud or not. The enemy is not, in fact, sometimes I think he'll get you off with, with some of those things. <laughs> let, let me tell you, I just, I just had this thought. When I was in high school, I remember this guy that I'd watch. He was a two-time state champion, and he was back here for his, his third year, and I think it was in, it was in a tournament we were in. I think it was in the semifinals, and I remember they were calling his name, Luke such and such, Luke such and such, and they couldn't find him in this tournament, and he was sleeping. He was like under a bench sleeping. You know, it was like a semifinal match in this big tournament, and I remember they woke him up, and he got up, and he went, oh, sorry, I was asleep, and he walked out in the match, and, and within like 30 seconds, pinned the guy and, uh, you know, they raised his hand and he walked back over and he laid back down. And I thought, you know, if you know how to wrestle, 
it's not just about hype. It's not just about how much you can pump yourself up. No, it's about you got to know how to do it. Listen, we need to know how to beat the enemy. The enemy is a defeated foe. And I think even as we talk about demons, don't get all freaked out about it or anything. He's a defeated foe. The enemy is a defeated foe. But we do have to know and understand about the, uh, some of the things with the enemy. So uh, today is part two on angels. And I want you to listen up. I want you to take notes. If you got one of those papers, if you don't have one, again, raise it your hand one more time. But take some notes because I know, I know that you're going to learn some things about demons today <laughs> that are going to help you in life. And they're going to help you. And they're all from the word of God, okay? Uh, how do you know that you know enough about it so that you can teach someone else about it? I know that a lot of people say, I don't, I, I don't know how to disciple or teach someone else about this. But angels are an important subject. Uh, the, the doctrine of angels is a very, very important subject for all of us to understand and know. I want us to look in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Somebody read it with me. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. By the way, right up front, I want to tell you, God never told us to be strong in and of ourselves. I feel weak. That's okay. God's not weak. So that's why he said be strong in the Lord and the power of, notice, his might. Put on the whole armor of God. He didn't say put on your own armor. He said put on his armor, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That's the tricks, the schemes of the devil. For we do not, read this with me, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. One thing we know about the devil is he's deceitful. He, he's a schemer. He wants to trick us. We know that our fight is not against people. It's against spiritual. Are you battling? Have you had battles this week? Listen, they're not physical battles. They're spiritual battles. They're not just emotional battles. They're spiritual battles. There's things that we fight. There's devils, demons that we fight. Let me go over a couple of things. The word demon, uh, it comes from the Greek word demonian and daemon, D-A-I-M-O-N, so if your name's Damon, sorry, okay. But uh, more accurately, it's translated demon or demons, okay? Well, that's what we see in the word. There's only one devil, which is the word diablos. There's only one devil, but there are a multitude of demons. So when we talk about the devil, well, there's one devil, but there's a multitude of demons. Why are we talking about devils and demons? Because one of the main uh, tactics of warfare is to study the enemy. I don't think we need to overstudy the enemy. I don't think we need to say, that's my life mission is to study the devil. No, we need to open God's word and know, know what God's word says about the enemy. And we don't need to go any further than that. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, we don't need to go any further than that. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me, well, some of the things that I've learned about this, you can't find in the Bible. And I say, you know, I really just would care not to know it. Because that means that's your imagination, your your, your, your assumptions on things, and I want to know what the Bible, the Bible says plenty about it. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his, what does it say? Well, if his main trick is his wiles and devices, we don't need to be ignorant of his devices, and this applies to all of us. We'd be unwise if we didn't study 
the enemy in the area of spiritual conflict. Again, the knowledge and understanding, all of it should come from God's word. Okay, so I want you to look at these questions, and I want you to write in the answers for these questions. Okay, we're going to look at demons, which are evil angels today. Uh, did God create demons? And if so, does that mean that God created evil? Well, that's a big question. Did God create demons? And if so, did, God, did that mean that God created evil? Well, the scriptures are right there. You don't necessarily have to open up to all of them, but, um, but you can just look at them on the screens. God did not create demons sinful. Amen. God did not create demons as sinful beings. God did create everything uh, including angels. The Bible clearly tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 31, it says God saw everything that he had made, and God said, indeed, it was what? Very good. It was very good. So if demons were once angels that he created, uh, who did not in the book of uh, Jude, uh, Jude, verse 6, it says they did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode. Okay. Uh, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but he cast them down to hell. Then we can say that they were once perfect. The demons were once perfect, but they stepped out of bounds, they trespassed, and they were cast down. Okay, They were cast down. These spirit beings were not created evil by God, but they have fallen from their created perfect condition Maybe at the same time as Lucifer. That's probably what happened. So how many angels fell? And I know we say, you know, a third of the angels. Well, how do you know that? Because we want everything, we want to find everything from the Bible, okay? So how do we know that? Well, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 and verse 12, it says this, that Satan was called, uh, Lucifer was called the star of the morning, the star of the morning. And then in Revelation 12, 4, we see that him, Satan, he, uh, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. That's where we get the, a third of the angels that we say. At least a third of the angels that, you know, two-thirds would be good, would be holy angels, but a third of the angels were cast down from heaven with Lucifer, with Satan. Where do demon fallen angels, uh, where do they exist now and who do they follow? This is an important one because I know for some of you, uh, your, your jaws may drop. Young people might go, what? what what's this thing all about? But uh, the fallen angels, where are they now and who do they follow? Well, we can see in the word that there's really two classes. There's really two classes of fallen angels. Uh, one is that some are now loosed with Satan. Uh, they will be cast down to the earth in future tribulation. We see this in Revelation chapter uh, 12, Verse 9, which is going to happen in the future, says, So the great dragon was cast down, that serpent of old. In fact, someone said, how do we know that the serpent in the book of Genesis is really the devil? Well, because it says that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who, notice what he does. He doesn't overpower the world. He deceives the world. If he's going to get you, he's going to deceive you. Okay? That's why, uh, how do we not be deceived? We don't want to be ignorant of these things. We want to understand these things. So if there's any time to press in, it would be right now, okay? So let's press in to really understand. He says, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is going to happen in the future so that we do know that there's a certain amount of angels that are loosed in the earth right now along with Satan, the God of the earth, the Bible calls him, 
in order to deceive the world and to follow Satan and such. But there are also some angels that are bound in hell right now that were cast down, but they're bound in hell for committing fornication. It says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and in Jude 1, 7, 1 through 7, it says this. In 2 Peter 2, 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So there are some fallen angels right now that have been cast down. They're in darkness and they're being reserved for a future judgment. That's where they are right now, some of the fallen angels. Jude tells us why they're locked up. Uh, Jude 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, that was in the spirit, but they left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. He goes on to explain what they did wrong here in verse 7, Jude, uh, Jude 1, 7. He says, As Sodom and Gomorrah... And the cities around them, in a similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, he's talking about the fallen angels, have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. What did they do? They're spiritual beings, but they pursued physical human beings. The daughters of men, these angels pursued the daughters of men and had fornicate and fornicated with them, but they didn't only cross lines because they weren't married. They actually crossed what God had said in Genesis when he said, each one produces according to its kind. Humans, he told that to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. But what happened? Some of these fallen angels crossed the spiritual line and actually infiltrated mankind and because of that, God took those angels and he's reserved them into darkness. That's what the word says here, okay? So as Sodom and Gomorrah, they've given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, and they are set forth in this, as an example of suffering, vengeance of eternal life. So there were some fallen angels who stepped over the line. They began to desire and have sexual relations with the daughters of men. That would be human Women, you see it in uh, Genesis chapter 6. As a result, the mixture of humans and fallen angels, they were created giants in the land. Giants were created. That's why you see all these huge giants where like their bed was 13 foot long. I mean, you think Shaq's big. These guys were superhuman, and they literally were, okay? Uh, because they committed the sin of fornication, which is mixing with the human race, they're locked up in eternal judgment. Um, if they had not committed this, what would they be? Well, they'd, they'd probably be loosed along with the rest of the fallen angels, and they'd be able to support Satan and, and be at work against us as well. But they are locked up, and the locking up shows that they did commit some type of sin, even more than the original rebellion of Satan where he was cast down. Um, this class of fallen angels are actually identified in the book of Genesis as the sons of God. Okay? They're superhuman. What we know as superheroes nowadays, and we say, those superheroes, no, no, no. These superheroes, these kind of superheroes existed here on earth. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it says, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men. Notice the sons of God, that's these angels. They saw the daughters of men, that's human women, and they were beautiful, and they took them as wives for, their, for themselves of all whom they chose. Verse 3 says, And the Lord said, 
My spirit, the Lord, this is God. He said, my spirit is not going to strive with man forever. I'm not going to keep resisting him. He said, for he's indeed flesh, yet his days will be 120 years. Verse 4 says this. There were giants. It's the Hebrew word Nephilim. Uh, they were bullies. They were tyrants. They were, they were these uh, crossbreed uh, between the fallen angels and, and women, and they were big, and they began to bully humanity. They take away their land. They take away their cities, and they begin to rule. These were actually the giants in the Bible where when they sent them over and they'd say, there's giants in the land. No, there were literal giants in the land. They weren't just NBA players. They were literally superhuman. They were, they were giants that were in the land. They were Nephilim. And it says here, there were giants on the earth. This is uh, Genesis 6-4. In those days, what is that? It means up until the flood. Remember God said that wickedness began to overtake the earth and he eventually set a flood and he killed all of the giants. He killed all of humanity because basically they, they, were, they, were, they weren't human. They couldn't, we don't even know if they could be redeemed. And they begin to overtake the earth <laughs> along with the sin of mankind, okay? So it says, and there were giants in those days. That was until the flood. And it says, and also afterwards. What does that mean? It means even after the flood wiped all of them out, there were still giants that we see in the Bible afterwards. Remember Goliath and, and of Gath? They were giants afterwards. So this happened again afterwards. Remember the, the, the guys, the, the, the giants with six fingers and six feet, and, and, you're, and they show all the descriptions of them. You'll read them throughout the word. Um, this was after the flood, the giants. But they were called the sons of God or the fallen angels who had relations with women. It says that when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and they were mighty men who were old men of renown. Remember in Genesis, again, where God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and he said, make sure to produce after your kind. God has an order with human beings. And there's something about redemption with human beings that the enemy tried to cross himself into. So these fallen angels are a mixture with humans. They're contaminated, the human race, and giants were produced. Um, just as a side note, uh, you know, some would say, could this explain some of the mysteries that we see, like with the Great Pyramids, that we see with uh, the Stonehenge, when you see those huge stones that are, you say, how did that happen? How did some of those things happen? Well, if you look back and you see that there were superhuman, uh, uh, you know, angelic beings, so to speak, that are, that's crossing with men, you can see that some of these things, they're really unexplainable to man because we don't understand how all of that works. But these Nephilim were giants. They were bullies. They took over the land. And because of that, they did not keep their proper domain, but they've been cast down to hell in the uh, chains of darkness and to be reserved for judgment. We see that out of uh, Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2, 4. You got all that? Yes. <laughs> you say, what are you talking? What are you smoking today, Pastor? <laughs> well, it's in the Word. Um, that's what I say. There's enough, there's enough wild stuff in the Word besides making up your own. The demons that are loosed, by the way, the demons that are loosed, they are under the, in, the, the authority and the influence of Satan. 
Um, let me, three scriptures on that is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Remember, he talks about Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Uh, Matthew 25, 41, it says the devil and all of his angels. Uh, Jesus has given the, the, uh, the story here. And then in Revelation 12, 7 through 9, it says the dragon and his angels. So he did have angels that accompany him. Okay. Do demons recognize and believe in Jesus and his authority? Do demons recognize and believe in Jesus? Well, Demons are not omniscient. What is omniscient? It means all-knowing. Some people think that just because they're spirit that they know everything. They don't know everything, okay? But they are very aware, they are very cunning, and they are very shrewd. Uh, they are aware of the authority, and they are aware of the deity of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're also aware of their own doom, okay? They're also aware. Let me give you uh, some scriptures on that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29 uh, when Jesus confronted, was confronted by the demon, that the demon immediately recognized him and cried out and said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of God? Um, he said, have you come to torment us before their time? By the way, there's no atheist demons. There's no atheist demons. Yet demons are well aware of Jesus and his authority and of their own demise. They're, they're well aware it's just people uh, that, you know, maybe the enemy tricks them or does trick them to that. Demons are oftenly, oftentimes would instantly recognize Jesus and called out, uh, call on his authority. In fact, in, um, um, or identify him as one with authority. Remember Mark chapter 1, verse 21, it says, and I'll just read down into it. It says, let us alone, the demon said, well, it says there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? He said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Notice, demons believe. In fact, someone says, Well, I believe in God, so I'm okay. Well, de demons believe in God, and they're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after Jesus ascended, even, demons still recognized his authority. In the book of Acts, chapter 19 and verse 15, it says, And the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Right? They still recognize uh, the authority that Jesus had. James addressed demonic. James, the book of James, he addressed demonic knowledge. When he said, You believe that there's one God? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe. So you don't have to try to get a demon saved. They already know Jesus, and they already know the plan for their lives, okay, or what's going to happen to them. Um, did Jesus recognize the existence of demons? There are people today who believe that demons don't even exist. They just existed back there. But did Jesus recognize demons? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, I'll just give you one verse on that. Uh, 27 through 28, he announced that he cast out demons by the Holy Spirit. He said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus recognized demons. Okay? What's the next question? What are some characteristics of demons from the following verses? What are some characteristics that we see? Well, one is that demons are wicked, they're unclean, and they're vicious. Remember in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it says, When he had come to the other side of the country of, of, of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. Notice they were exceedingly fierce, 
and no one could pass their way. They weren't peaceable. Someone who is demon-possessed is not peaceable, and they're violent at times, and there's someone that stands up, and uh, uh, they're wicked, unclean, and they're vicious. You couldn't pass by them. The scripture also refers in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, that they're, are, they're unclean. It says, and when they called the 12 disciples, he gave them power over, notice, unclean spirits. Yeah, they weren't pure. They were nasty. They were contaminated. Um, there also seems to be some degree of wickedness to demons. Uh, remember, it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, 40, 45, he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, and he says, and when he comes back, he finds it empty, swept in order. But then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits. Notice what he said, more wicked than himself. There seems to be degrees of spiritual things. All demons are not on the same uh, playing field, okay? What are some of the purposes and assignments of demons? Why do demons come? Well, we know that John 10.10, 10, Jesus said what? The thief, say it with me, does not come except to steal kill and destroy. In other words, demons never come to party. I've heard rock and, rock and roll interviews and I watch documentaries and stuff sometimes and they're like, we're just going to party in hell, man. We're just going to, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. That's deception. You got that wrong. There's not going to be a party in hell. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a lake that you, but, it, but it's a lake of fire <laughs> and it burns, the Bible says. It burns, yeah. Um, so what are the purposes and assignments of demons? Well, Satan and his demons are thieves. They, he doesn't, they don't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. There's really a twofold purpose that we see with demons. One is to hinder the purposes and plans of God. And two is to extend the power of Satan. Okay, there's two purposes we see over and over in the Word. Let me tell you a few things. Number one, demons oppose believers. You were created in the image and likeness of God and, God, and demons hate you. Yeah, they can't get to God, but they can try to get to you, right? So demons oppose believers. They constantly oppose Christians and their endeavor, and the Christians endeavor to live godly lives and to serve the Lord. They're constantly coming against that. It says, and uh, we, we just read it in Ephesians 6, 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness. Through demons, Satan opposes the work of the church. Do you know Satan hates Memphis Tabernacle? He hates every church that's preaching the gospel right here in Memphis. That's why it's important for us to pray for the church. You remember uh, uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, we wanted to come to you, Paul said. He said, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. You know, if Satan can hinder the Apostle Paul, Satan can hinder ministers and ministries today, right? So he's saying Satan can hinder us. That's at least what he wants and desires to do. Next of all, um, demons encourage false doctrine and manipulate believers to depart from the faith. They use whatever tactics are necessary. Remember Paul warned Timothy, uh, who was a pastor, and he said that demons who they encourage false doctrines such as asceticism. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, well, if there were latter times then, how many know these are latter times now? These are later latter, okay. People will depart from the faith. Have you known anyone who's walked away from their faith? 
He says, in the latter times, people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Sometimes people come and say, man, I just found something I just got into. Well, make sure that it's the word of God. Because there are deceiving, there are teachers that are demons. And they're giving place to heed to those things. They speak lies and hypocrisy, and they have their own consciences seared with a hot iron. In other words, they don't sense things. They don't sense the spirit anymore. They're forbidding to marry, and they're commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who uh, believe and know the truth. They even get into food things, and they say, this is the way you need to do to get to to spirituality and to, to God and these things. No, we need to stick with the word of God. Eat your steak and stick with the word. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, point number three. Or, or the, what else do uh, demons do? Well, demons are behind all idol worship. You know, I hesitate even when I see like American Idol and, you know, some of these things. Now, I've watched American Idol for years. I like the, I like the show or I've, I have liked it for some seasons. But I just don't like the idol. You know what I mean? I don't like the word idol. Why? Because demons are behind all true idol worship. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 19, it says, what am I saying then, that an idol is anything, and what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And by the way, I'm not just talking about American Idol. I'm talking about trophies. I'm talking about things that we set up as that made us, that got us through. That's what I look to in times of trouble. There's many things that can become an idol that we can create to be an idol. But he says the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. He said, and I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the Lord's table and the table of demons. So he's talking about all the idols. They're demons, right? There's something behind it. In fact, I could say if you've ever got into something in life and you go, I don't know what it is, but there's something behind that. There's something spiritual behind that. Don't second-guess yourself. Don't second-guess yourself. If you wonder if it may not be holy or may not be the Lord, just that thought, a lot of times, just that sense is your spirit picking up on something that's unholy, that's not right. Drop it. Let it go. But I paid money for it. But you're going to pay much more money for it later. Don't mess with demons. Don't mess with that. Um, What physical afflictions can demons cause? Well, uh, demons have the power to cause human sickness. Uh, In Matthew 9, 32, they cause muteness. In uh, Matthew 12, 22, blindness. Uh, Luke 8, 26 through 35, there was this demoniac who had this irrational behavior, wore no clothes. Well, that's one good sign of, yeah, (laughs) wore no clothes. Um, lived in tombs, the demon would seize him and catch him off guard and bound him with chains and, and shackles, and then all of a sudden he'd break the chains and he was driven into the wilderness. Well, he was just what we would call crazy. Yeah, that's one of the things uh, demons do. Deformities and defects. Remember the woman in uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 11, that she had the spirit of infirmity. For 18 years she was bent over. That, that's just how she would be for 18 years. What, what was that? Well, it wasn't just... Uh, that she needed a chiropractor or she needed a doctor. There was actually a spirit of infirmity that was upon her. Um, convulsions, convulsions, um, seizures. In um, 
Mark chapter 9, verse 18, says that the demon would seize him and it would throw him down and he would foam at the mouth and gnash at the teeth and become rigid. By the way, I'm not saying everybody who has seizures has a demon. No, no, no. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that those are things that the enemy wants to do. He wants to take advantage and exploit people. How should we treat the occult, telepathy, magic, mediums, tarot cards, tarot cards, um, astrology, fortune tellers, palm readers, and the like. Well, let me tell you, first of all, the occult, the word occult means hidden things. That's what occult means. It means hidden things. Don't ever mess with the occult. Satan likes to live in the dark, and he likes to live in the hiding, okay? Um, it deal, deals with magic, with fortune telling, with spiritism. Michael Green, of the rector of St. All date in Oxford, he said this, magic is an attempt to bring the spirit world under one's knowledge and control. So to bring something up from the spirit world. It is the precise opposite of religion which seeks to surrender to the divine, not control over it, and operates by faith and not by knowledge. So you got to watch getting into, sometimes people think that they're going to dabble in the occult because they want power. And they, you don't want to bring up that power. Yeah, you don't want to bring up that power. You don't want to try to control that power. That power will control you. All of these practices were severely condemned in the Bible. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, it says, verse 31, Give no regard to mediums or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. God opposes those who engage in such behavior. It says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits prostitutes himself with them, and God says, I will set my face against that person, and I will cut off them from my people. Don't mess with Ouija boards. Don't mess with, with tarot cards. Don't mess with astrology. Don't mess with, and you think they're helping you? It is not helping you. Don't even mess with it. Why? Because you're messing with spirits. You just don't want to mess with it. The Bible states that there's no life in consulting the dead. I know, um, you know, uh, I, I've heard of people, you know, come up and say, well, I'm, I'm just praying, and I, I feel like I talked to my mother last night. Really? Where, where at? Where at? In, you know, East Memphis or? No. In heaven. She died 10 years ago. No, no, no. You didn't talk to your mother, brother. We, we don't need to get, get, well, no, she has some wisdom. Well, then... If she's in heaven, you'll see her later, and you can talk to her about that. But you don't want to try to pull up people who are dead or those spirits or those familiar spirits. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, it says, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards and whisper and, mother, uh, and mutter, should not a people seek their God? You don't need a, a medium. You don't need a reading to understand where you're going. Seek the Lord. Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? The occult is an abomination to God. It says in Deuteronomy 18.10, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son and his daughter pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, soothsayer, interprets omens or sorcery, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are, an, say it with me, an abomination to the Lord. Sometimes people will keep, will have messed and dabbled with those things, and they'll keep things in their houses. They'll keep necklaces and jewelry that's attached itself to occultic practices. Get rid of it. But it was mama's. <laughs> Give it back. <laughs> 
<laughs> but mama's gone. Good. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Because we don't mess with the, with the enemy. We don't mess with demons. We don't mess with the occult. Notice also the association with, with uh, sorcery and sexual immorality. Sorcery and sexual immorality. They're often mentioned uh, in the same verses. In, like in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, uh, uh, idolatry, and sorcery. Just puts it right in there with it. Revelation uh, 9.21, it says, And they didn't repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. In uh, Exodus 22.18, it says, Spiritism, or spiritism is so evil that it was a capital offense. In other words, if you messed with it, if you dabbled in it, you'd get killed. You didn't get prayed for or delivered, you'd get killed. Why? Because you just don't mess with demons. It says, You shall not permit a sorcerer, sorceress to live in the Bible. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, I want to ask you this. Can Christians, can Christians be, don't, don't just answer out because I don't want you to be embarrassed on this. Listen, can Christians be demon-possessed, okay? Possession, oppression, depression, there's different things. But can they be demon-possessed? Well, uh, believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. If someone's a believer, they can't be demon-possessed. But they can be demon-influenced. They can be demon-influenced, right? They can, have, they can have demonic activity that they're allowing, and they, even to the point where they hear voices and they hear things and they're giving into things like that, but they can't be possessed. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You were bought at a Christ. Christians can be demonized or under the influence but not possessed, okay? How did Jesus instruct his disciples to handle demons? How did... Christian, how did Jesus instruct his disciples to handle demons? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, it says that he commissioned his disciples to do the same, to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, and what's next? Yeah, he told his disciples, cast out demons. Cast out demons. Uh, he didn't tell them to talk with the demons, to find out their name. He told them two things, be quiet and come out. That's what he told them. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus proclaimed, these signs will follow them that believe. What did he say? In my name, they will. What's the, what's the very first sign that Jesus would have, said would happen with believers? They'd cast out demons. I don't believe in demons. No, he said that's the very first sign to them that believe. In my name, they'd cast out demons. Apparently, they need to be cast out. <laughs> um, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the disciples uh, that Jesus commissioned also believe in the reality of demons. It says, then the 70 returned. He had sent out 70 of them, but they came back with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You know, that's how we should feel when we get around demons. Don't get spooked out. Why? Because they're subject to you in the name of Jesus. How did the early church handle demons? How did the early church? We're, we're later on in the, in the story but uh, how did the early church? Well, the early apostles cast out demons. In Acts chapter 5, verse 16, it says, A multitude gathered together in the surrounding cities. They brought sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. Notice, they were all healed. They were all healed. Uh, Philip the evangelist, he freed those who were possessed. It says in Acts 8, verses 6 and 7, that unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, and they came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were what? 
They were healed, yeah. Apostle Paul commanded demons to come out of people. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 18, it says that it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl, uh, she was possessed with a spirit of divination. Well, it goes on to say that Paul got irritated with her, but eventually he had discernment and realized that she, it wasn't just the, the girl. Anybody ever irritate you before? Like you just go, I don't know why they irritate me so much. Yeah, that's not always a demon, but it could be, could be. Could be. That's what Paul said. Don't, by the way, don't just go, you better have some discernment before you start casting a cast a demon out. They're like, dude, he's just rude. He doesn't have a demon, okay? Um, but that's what happened to Paul. He said, I said to the spirit, I come, in fact, she was even saying the right thing. She's like, you're of God. You know, these men are servants of the most high God, and they proclaim the way of salvation. He, you know, he's like, shut up. I'm tired of hearing that. You know, she was even saying something good. But he said, you spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. So Paul did. Uh, demon encounters were commonly would happen in the church. In fact, there was these seven professional traveling exorcists that, were, that tried to copy Paul. They were like, hey, we're going to, what did he say? I'm going to write that down. I'm going to do the same thing. But it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, it says that there was itinerant Jewish exorcists. And they took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, Jesus over the evil spirits, and they said what Paul said, we exercise you, how did he say, we exercise you by Jesus, by the Jesus who Paul preaches, <laughs> like they said the right things, and then, and there was these seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, priest, I'm reading in verse 14, who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, well, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who the heck are you? I, I, I added the heck, okay. It says, then the man in the evil spirit, listen to this, the man who the evil spirit was in, he leaped on him. He jumped, he like he took him down, he tackled him. He overpowered them, prevailed against them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now listen, you, don't mess with evil spirits. <laughs> don't mess with evil spirits unless you have the name of Jesus and you know what you're doing, okay? What are some of the practices we may see today? Now listen up to this. What are some of the practices that we see today we may see today, for casting out demons that have limited or no biblical support. Okay, what, what I've seen this, this is the way we need to do it. No, I'll, let's just go back to the, to the scriptures, okay? Um, number one is this, casting out demons through the laying on of hands. There's no examples in scripture of individuals laying hands on people and casting out demons. You don't see it. You see examples of them being healed, you see examples of gifts for ministry, of people being blessed, of baptisms uh, happening, but not casting out demons. You, you just don't see that, okay? Uh, next, casting out demons by name. You don't see that. Uh, there's one example in Scripture of Jesus in Mark chapter 5, verse 9, where he casted out uh, demons. In, and in this encounter, the demons responded by saying, he said, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we're many. That's the only time Jesus talked to demons. And what did he do? He asked them his name, and they said they're legion. Some even have used this story to suggest that individuals, that people need to know the name of the demon. I need to know the name. I need to, what's your name? No, that's not your name. What's your name? You know, no, you don't need to know the name of the demon. You only see this one time. And, uh, uh, but some suggest you need to know the name of the demon in order to cast them out in order for it to be effective. This doesn't seem necessary as demons are not spoken of by name in the Bible in any other instance that they're cast out. One commentator suggested this, and I thought this was interesting. He said the story of Legion, Jesus made the demon reveal their name. He said 
to demonstrate his power, but also to help people around understand why the herd of swines were about to be drowned in the sea. <laughs> like they're wondering, what, what, what in the world happened with those pigs? Well, they wanted to know. There was demons involved in that. And so, uh, so he said, what are we? We're legion. And they went ahead and went into the pigs. There's also another problem with asking demons questions. They're lying spirits. They're lying spirits. One of the wonders, um, they could be lying about their identity uh, just for the sake of putting us off, taking more time. You know, one of the things that demons like, they like attention. They like to be in the front and center. They like to take your time. They like to waste your time. And so getting into all that stuff, it's sometimes it's just a waste of time. Another thing is conversing with demons. Jesus did speak to demons. Jesus, uh, using Jesus' example as reasons to also converse in the demonic realm. Some people will say, well, we need to start finding out and talking into the demonic realm and getting in all, all these kinds of things. Christians should not engage in conversing with demonic forces. The Bible doesn't encourage us to hold conversations with demons. It, it, it doesn't. Um, once they're known to be there, what you're supposed to do is tell them to leave. That's what, that, scripturally. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, 34 and 311, it says that Jesus did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him, and he charged unclean spirits that they should not make him known. He shut them up. Um, spirits suffer from egotism. Nothing pleases them better than to be the center of attention. One of the best things you can do is isolate them, get them off, and get them quiet. You don't want, you don't want it to be, I, I even hesitate when I see videos and things of like, look at the demons. Oh, look at that. No, no, no. We don't, we don't want to put on a, the, the, the devil on a platform. We don't want to do that. What do we want to do? In fact, I've watched many people who minister in uh, there's a who minister in deliverance ministry over and over. And I remember, you know, I'd play music for them, and I'm just watching them and revivals and all kinds of things. And I and I've many many times I've watched that they come up and they're in the presence. They have a discernment that there's a demon involved, and what they'll do is they'll just say, "You, I'm going to talk with you afterwards," and they'll take them sometimes to a back room. Why? Because they don't need this whole manifestation and show to put on a show that there's some powerhouse. No, no, that's exactly what the demons want to do. So what do you do? You isolate them. You isolate them. You just put them aside and you cast them out. I'm not saying you can't cast them out in front of people, but I'm saying sometimes that's what they want. Casting out demons also through manifestations. You see limited uh, that uh, just as the demonic possession can take can have a drastic effect on the human body, so can casting out demons, okay? It can happen. Uh, remember the story with the boy who had a mute spirit in Luke chapter 9 and verse 17. The Bible says that the demon caused the boy to be mute and to foam at the mouth and things like that, and that's where people will say, well, that's what needs to happen. When Jesus cast the demon out of the boy, though, uh, the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came up to him and as one who was uh, and he became as one who was dead. But notice this, but Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. That's, what, that, that's how Jesus responded here. Um, some mistakenly believe that certain demonic expressions, such as convulsion, foaming at the mouth, that they need to be present in order for a demon to be cast out. Others believe that they're are there must be signs of demons 
uh, being physically released or expelled through the body when they're cast out of an individual because they're used to seeing that or they're used to hearing about that. Go get the buckets. We need to make sure that this happens the way that I saw it before. However, there's no examples in Scripture. Let me say it again. There's no examples in Scripture of individuals coughing up or spitting up demons. I just want to say that again. There's no examples in Scriptures because I've had people, you know, at times walk up and say, do we, do we need to get some buckets? Do we need to get this? Well, there's no examples in Scripture that we see of people coughing up or spitting up demons. Okay. More importantly, it's really the authority of Jesus that frees individuals from demonic possession, not external manifestations. I believe that sometimes you can get, we can get our focus so much on external manifestations that it gets their focus off of what the focus really needs to be on. And that's on Jesus and his authority and his freedom in people's lives. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the power of his name. We're wrapping it up here. Is the ministry of casting out demons available to all believers? To all believers. Well, Mark chapter 16, we already read it. says, these signs will follow them who believe. In my name they will do what? They will cast out demons. And what's the qualification? You have to believe. The Bible says the ministry of casting out demons for all believers. Um, nobody was ever given a special gift of exorcism. Only discernment. Discernment. Because discernment is an important uh, thing as part of the protection for the church, mainly against false teachers, mainly against uh, deceitful doctrines of demons and things. So it's good to have discernment to understand what you're working with and what you're dealing with. In other words, uh, no one is called to engage in ministry in a ministry that only deals with demons. What ministry are you in? I'm in the ministry of demons. No, you don't, you don't see that. Any ministry that's exclusively deals with demons, really, it would, draw, it would draw attention to Satan. It would draw attention to his work rather than the work of Christ in your life. Being preoccupied with this whole sphere could be kind of a tribute to the power of Satan instead of the power of God. Can someone just stop and praise the Lord for just a minute before we say all this talk about say, Come on, let's say Jesus. Let's just praise the name of Jesus for a minute. Can we do it? Jesus, we thank you today. Jesus, we thank you that you have the power over the enemy today. Thank you for it, Lord. Just say, Jesus, help me to catch this. Jesus, help me to be aware. <laughs> All right. Does a person need to repent to, to remain free from demonic influence? Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse 45, it says this. Then he goes out and he takes, he goes, the spirit goes out and, and if he's, if, he's, if it's empty, he takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself and comes back. To find true freedom, individuals need to do more than have demons cast out. They need to do more. Because in this case, you saw a demon was cast out, and, and, and he actually became worse. He actually became worse. So uh, they need to truly repent and accept Jesus as the Lord of their life. There's also some deep spiritual issues that must be addressed with freeing individuals from uh, demonic activity. Um, Jack Hayford said, and you know this if you've went into the freedom class, he said, you cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot disciple a demon. The demon needs to be cast out, but the flesh has to be retrained, surrendered to the Lord and discipled in order to walk in freedom. That's why part of our mission is not just get free. People, I've seen people get free and get worse two weeks later. No, it's to walk in their freedom. 
People need to get deeper help, life situations, strong temptations, affecting the willingness of a person to give up their sin. It can't be ignored. That's why we have freedom class that will be starting here in the fall that uh, I believe everybody should go through if you're part of this church. Unless sin is forsaken, then as Jesus said, the last state of that man could be worse than the first. If you just get demons uh, or delivered from something, but you don't change in turn, it could be worse afterwards. <clears throat> so should I just keep them? Well, it's your decision. But that's not the will of the Lord. It's the will of man. It, no, it's the will of man which makes the way in for the devil. The reason the devil came in is not because the devil came in and so now you're affected. No, your will allowed the devil in. So repentance is required <clears throat> as well as casting out demons. Repentance is required. Remember, repentance is a turn changing your mindset. Um, patient pastoral care may have to be taken to get down to the roots of a man's troubles, a woman's troubles. Demon possession is not the cause, but the result or the symptom. So demon possession is not the cause, it's the result of the symptom. When you have open doors and you allow the enemy in, again, you can kick him. But it's, it's sort of like saying kick the thief out but leave your doors all unlocked. No, you need to make sure to kick the thief out and lock your doors. One author said, it's wrong to assume that a particular evil in a man's life is the result of demon control. It's more likely that the evil was there first, permitting the entry of the satanic power. <clears throat> Most importantly, we must be mindful that the goal of ministry is not the casting out demons, but the goal of ministry is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. That's what we need to keep in mind is that we want Jesus to take this person's life and our life and, and, uh, and, and lead them into uh, the great life that he has planned for them. How important is discernment when ministering deliverance? Well, um, let me give you two scriptures on this. When conducting deliverance ministry, it's vital to have discernment. It's vital to have discernment. Don't just walk in and start binding demons and, and these kind of things. You need to have a discernment in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another uh, discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is a gift from the Holy Spirit that he gives. You can't say, I own the discerning of spirits or I have it. No, you can be used in it quite a bit, but that's something that the, as the Spirit wills. So what I'll do sometimes is I'll stop, and if there's something funky going on in the atmosphere, I'll just say, Holy Spirit, would you give me discernment right now? Help me to understand what's going on, what situation. Because it's not always just some evil spirit. Sometimes there's things, other things that are going on. Would you give me discernment? Right now, Acts chapter 16, it says, Now it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl, remember we read about that earlier, she was possessed with the spirit of uh, divination, and Paul had the discerning of spirits. Let me also say, not everything is a spirit. Not everything is an evil spirit. There are some psychological disorders that lead individuals into confusion about their own spiritual well-being. And let me tell you this, because this is important for believers to know. The very fear of being uh, affected by a spirit can bring on a pseudo-symptoms, especially if they're told that they may be possessed. There are some people who they're not possessed, but they've been told they're possessed so much that they start having the, the, the symptoms of possession 
That's a dangerous place to be in. You have to have discernment. The very fear of it can bring on those symptoms. In instances such as this, ministers should help individuals. And who are the ministers? Who are the ministers? How many ministers do we have in this room? Yeah. We should, uh, we should help individuals to find the appropriate mental health support, prayer for their healing, and clearly assure them that they're not demon-possessed. I know that I know. I, I know just a couple of years ago, we prayed over this gal, and the, per, the, the person kept telling me, she's demon-possessed. She's de- she, she has demons in her. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I said, you know, I don't sense that. Well, she does. I just know she does because of this and that. And you know, she still does today, according to them. I think it can get, it's dangerous to tell someone that if they're not dealing with that. You have to have discernment. And if you don't have discernment, don't make it up because you're dealing with people's lives. Amen? What does the Bible say we should walk in and focus on? This is the last question today, but it's most important. Well, it says in 1 John 1, 7, let us walk in the light as he is in the light. Somebody, let's say it today. Let us walk in the light as he is in the light. We don't glorify darkness. By the way, if you're visiting us, for the, I, watched, I watched someone come in late, and they were sitting down, and right over here, I was very conscious of, oh, man, they're like, this is a freaky sermon today. What in the world is this? I, wanted, I didn't want to embarrass them, but I kind of wanted to stop and say, I'm sorry. Talking about demons today. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, come back on Tuesday. Yeah, okay. Let's, the Bible says, let us walk in the light as he is in the light. There's almost 300 references to angels in the scripture, but only 80 to devils and demons. Let me say it again. There's 300 references in the Bible to, to angels, but there's only about 80 to demons and devils. So we don't want to give them all the attention, Right? In other words, there's more than three times as many references to angels in the Bibles as there is demons. Some people spend three times as much talking about demons as they do angels. And, and, and demons like that. They like the attention. <laughs> Romans 1.16 says this. Where should we put our attention? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? That people can be free. Who? Everybody. You can be free. Jesus said who the sun sets free is free indeed. That's, the, that's what we should focus on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. I sense the spirit of God just as I say it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for freedom in this room. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that every person, Lord, can be set free because of Jesus. <laughs> it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Notice it takes believing the Jew first and also to the Greek. Finally, my brethren, it says in Philippians 4.8, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, read it with me, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on, where should we keep our focus? On demons? No. On the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On the victory that we have. Come on, somebody. I know we've talked enough about that. We've talked enough about demons today. Why don't we just thank God for the victory that's in Christ Jesus. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.